0: Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for Scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter seven. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. The problem of sin, yes, but the solution is grace, says Paul. In Romans 6.22b, the return you get is sanctification and its end, which is eternal life. That is really, really good news. Every baptized person has the sanctifying grace needed to be a saint. A saint is one that gets to heaven. Paul in Romans 7 verse 24 says, wretched, wretched man that I am. But Paul was declared to be a saint by the Roman Catholic Church. So sinful Augustine, who was reading Paul's letter to the Romans at the time of his conversion, is declared a Catholic saint. There was enough sanctifying grace alive from their baptism for a sinful apostle, for a sinful bishop to change and live by grace. Every baptized person has the sanctifying grace needed to be a saint. There's a new blessed in the church, a young boy who went to a Jesuit high school in Milan, Italy, Pope Leo high, the thirteenth Classical High School. Blessed Carlo Acutis is his name, and he's being venerated in Assisi, Italy this month of October, the month of Mary. Carlo said, the Virgin Mary is the only woman in my life. Carlo Acutis died of leukemia in 2006. He was only 15 years old. His mother, Carlo, by his authentic witness, witnessed to both his parents and helped both of his parents return back to the Catholic Church. Before Carlo, Antonia, his mother, confessed that she only went to Mass for her first communion her confirmation and her marriage the priest reported that it was carlo who managed to drag his relatives his parents to mass every day it was not the other way around it was not his parents bringing the little boy to mass but it was carlo who managed to get himself to mass and to convince others to receive communion daily and once her son had received his first communion at age seven, Carlo never wanted to miss daily mass again. He convinced, he was convinced that the Eucharist was everything. And that inspired others, call, including his mother, who calls him my little savior. At his beatification on October 10th, this year, 2020, Cardinal Vallini greets his mother. It's, it's at the massive beatification of her 15-year-old son. His mother, like many Catholics, had missed Mass for years. Carlo, through his love of the Eucharist, brought her back. Carlo made holy hours praying before the Blessed Sacrament for an hour at a time, either before or after Mass. He went to confession weekly. He prayed the rosary regularly. The sanctifier, the Holy Spirit, was so alive in him. And the Holy Spirit's work is sanctification. And Carlo yielded to that. He was docile to that. The sanctifying grace that is available through each sacrament of the Catholic Church. The supernatural life that is available to us in seven different perfection of ways. Carlo understood that deeply. He was a computer whiz kid. Uh, Like many teens, Carlo loved to play video games. His mom said he could teach young people today how to properly enjoy the other technology without falling prey to pitfalls of the internet and social media. Today, She said Carlo understood that these things were potentially very harmful, very dangerous, and he wanted to be the master of these means, not a slave. She said her son practiced the virtue of temperance. She explained that he imposed on himself a maximum of one hour per week to use these means of communication self-imposed, a 15-year-old boy. So for Carlo, for sure, the first point is to teach young people temperance, his mother said. That is to understand the need to maintain the proper autonomy and the need to always be able to say no, enough, to not become a slave to technology. This is what Paul told us last week in Romans 6. You're slaves are the one you obey, either of sin or of obedience. He didn't want to be a slave to technology, to video games, to computer. By age 11, Carlo became an assistant catechist in his parish, and he soon was able to teach the catechism all by himself. Carlo loved computer work. His most significant computer venture was cataloging all the Eucharistic miracles of the world, a project he started when he was 11 years old. Carlo Acutis was dubbed the cyber apostle of the Eucharist he said the more Eucharist we receive the more we will become like Jesus so that on this earth we will have a foretaste of heaven he was a computer genius a tech whiz kid but what did he do his mother said in an interview with Vatican news instead his zeal for the Lord drove him to make a website on miracles 136 recorded Eucharistic miracles that happened all over the world they've all been acknowledged by the church and he made a virtual museum. You can look up his website. He also created panel presentations that have traveled all around the world. Our own Spirit Catholic radio station has two of these sets uh, by Blessed Carlo Acutis that they loan out free of cost. Blessed Carlo Acutis will be was was he was the first millennial to be declared blessed this October 10th, 20. 20. This is what Pope Francis said the next day in Rome. Yesterday in Assisi, Carlo Acutis, a 15-year-old boy in love with the Eucharist, was beatified. He did not settle into comfortable inaction, but grasped the needs of his time because, in the weakest, he saw the face of Christ. His witness shows today's young people that true happiness is found by putting God first and serving Him and our brothers, especially the least. How many Catholics today, my friends, live in comfortable inaction? action. Comfortable in action. Carlo loved traveling, but his favorite place on earth was Assisi, Italy because of Saint Francis. He became a servant of God in 216. He became venerable in 218. And now he is blessed in 2020. And this was his massive beatification. The intercessory miracle to become blessed was in Brazil. A little boy named Matthias overcame a congenital disability after The parish priest, Father Gori, had been praying for Carlos' beatification, and the priest held a healing service, and they prayed for Carlos' intercession on the anniversary of Carlos' death. On October 12, 2013, seven years after Carlos' death, a child affected by congenital malformation, it's called an annular pancreas, when it was his turn to touch the picture Of the future, blessed, he just had a little wish, like a little prayer, and he said, I wish I could stop vomiting so much, and he touched the holy card. Healing began immediately to the point of the physiology of the organ in question. The pancreas actually changed. Carlos' mother, Antonio, is said to attribute to his intercession the fact that at age 44, she gave birth to twins. This was after his death. He had been their only child, but at age 44, she gave birth to twins exactly four years on the day following Carlo's death. Francesca and Michelle, the, uh, the, tw- the new acutest twins, twin girls, were born on the same day that Carlo died four years later. Antonio told the press that her son had appeared to her in dreams, saying that he will not only be beatified but also a canonized saint in the future. I am asking myself for Carlo's intercession right now for a special intention. I think Carlo looks like a Doran boy. He has both Polish and Irish bloodlines. His body was exhumed and is being venerated this month in Assisi, Italy. He looks like a normal teenage kid with a sports jersey and Nike shoes on his feet. Her son said Antonio. The mother said that that he didn't like to waste money on useless things. He did not care about fashion or clothing brands. If she said to him, let's get you an extra pair of shoes, he would get angry and say, mom, one is enough. Let's help the poor. He was known to give many sleeping bags to homeless people. When he was gifted a diary one time, he decided to use the diary to track his spiritual progress, good marks if he behaved well, and bad marks if he did not meet his expectations. And he tracked his progress in that notebook. And one of his quotes in there says, sadness is looking at oneself. Happiness is looking at God. Conversion is nothing but a movement of the eyes. I think he has a lot of wisdom on what sanctifying grace is. Listen to this. Carlo wrote, our soul is like a hot air balloon. If by chance there is a mortal sin, the soul falls to the ground. Confession is like the fire underneath the balloon, enabling the soul to rise again. It is important to go to confession often. He understood that sanctifying grace available through reconciliation. Carlos said, if we get in front of the sun, we get suntans. But if we get in front of Jesus in the Eucharist, we become saints. The only thing we have to ask God for in prayer is the desire to be holy. He understood sanctification. He understood the universal call to holiness. He said, I always, I always want to be united with Jesus. That is my life's program. When he was told he had leukemia and he would die, most likely, this was at age 20 fifteen, Carlo smiled and said, The Lord has given me a beautiful alarm clock. Carlo really wanted to be full of sanctifying grace like Mary. He was convinced that to love people and to do their good it was necessary to draw energy from the Lord. In his spirit he was very devoted to the Virgin Mary and he prayed the rosary every day. He consecrated himself several times to Mary to renew his affection for her and to implore her protection with this spirit, Carlo, lived the illness that he faced with serenity that led him to death. Carlo abandoned himself in the arms and the providence and under Mary's maternal gaze, and he repeated, I want to offer all my sufferings to the Lord for the Pope and the church. I don't want to go to purgatory. I want to go straight to heaven. There are people who suffer so much more than me, but I offer all my sufferings to the Lord for the Pope and for the church. Mm. I love this quote from him that all people are born as originals, but many die as photocopies. He didn't want anyone to be a photocopy. He wanted all people to become the saint that God created you to be, the original. The same Holy Spirit that can help sanctify Carlo wants to help sanctify each and every one of us. If we participate, if we are docile, if we yield to the divine life inside of us. And sanctifying grace is available through all the sacraments of the church. And the supernatural life is available to us in seven different ways, for sure. Now, can lay people love in this heroic way? Yes, yes, yes. Because inspired by the other lives of authentic holiness, saints make saints. It's true. Iron sharpens iron. Saints are inspiration. I love the Catholic saints. And I've always, since I was a small child, loved saint stories. They're inspirational. Saints make saints. Now, love was the new covenant wedding gift from God. Okay. And look at this analogy from Paul. It's at the beginning of chapter 7. Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only during his life. Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's discharged from the law concerning the husband. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Now, why in the world is Paul talking about marriage laws right now? Paul's making an important point about covenant Marriage law that it is forever until death do us part. That's what the law says. Jesus himself taught about the permanence of the marriage covenant. There are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. It's until death do us part means exactly that forever. Only death would end the marital covenant. Only God is faithful. Only God is holy. The blood covenant with Abraham would only depend on God's faithfulness alone. Abram prepared the sacrifice. He protected it. He defended it. But God put him into that deep, deep sleep, and God alone would pass through the bloody carcasses. Now, why? Because Abraham has a fallen human nature. He has concupiscence. He has a proclivity to sin. He can't do it. He has a weakened nature. And fallen humanity just can't do it. Fallen men and fallen women are always unfaithful. Only God alone is always faithful. And so fallen humanity can't stay 100% faithful all the time. True love always requires freedom. And so they said to Jesus, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. And Jesus said to them, For your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. God always wanted a forever permanent covenantal love with humanity. But God granted humanity freedom. God lovingly gave his creatures freedom so they could freely love God back. And in our own freedom, we too have made grave mistakes in loving God back. Man and woman broke free from God, from his love. The choice, which they were totally free to make, caused separation from God. The very commandment which promised life proved to be death to me, says Paul. For sin, finding opportunity in the commandment, deceived me. If only God would not have given Adam the command, do not eat from the tree of knowledge, then there would have been nothing wrong, no trespass of the law. If God would not have told Adam, do not eat, there would have been no trespass of the command, no sin. But since God had given Adam the command, now there would be a trespass, a disobeying of God's order, God's command. So they hide They disobey, they feel shame, and they hide from God. But oh, happy fault of first Adam. What? How could that be good? Oh, happy fault of Adam and happy fault of Eve. Because Paul's going to tell us in the next chapter, chapter 8, that we know that in everything God works for good for those who love him, who are called according to his purpose, which humanity certainly is. It's the first paragraph of the catechism that says God created man to make him share in his own blessed life. Oh, happy fault of Adam and happy fault of Eve that won for us so great a new Adam and a new Eve. Not just face to face with God the Father and a hidden trinity, like in Genesis, but now God would reveal a full triune God, three distinct persons in one God. You were infused with sanctifying grace, the divine, the supernatural life of the trinity, but now... You know the Trinity in that way, but now there's also a new Eve who will be crowned Queen of Heaven and Queen of Earth. This Queen is fully creature. We call her the Queen of Hope. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our Hope. Mary's a mere creature and she makes it. She gives us hope. She makes it back to the heart of love itself. Not only does she make it, she is crowned the queen of heaven and the queen of earth. She is queen over all the saints and queen over all the angelic beings. It's no wonder why Lucifer, the most proud and the most arrogant and the most proud of all angelic angels, can't stand Mary, a mere creature that would one day be higher than him in the heavenly realm. Non serviam, Latin for I will not serve. I will not serve God's plan. That's what Lucifer said. In this beautiful painting, uh, it's 23 feet high, seven feet wide. You see Mary at the top being crowned as queen of heaven she she has her traditional white lily of purity at her side the matching blue and red robes with her son Jesus there's the holy spirit right in the middle with the cherub the the cherubic angels around them and Jesus on his side the scales of justice for weighing the souls because he the father has given him all authority to judge Mary who is crowned queen of heaven and queen of earth is the hinge pin between heaven and earth how how is she that she's already made it into heaven she's full creature and she has been assumed body and soul into heaven on august 15th every year we celebrate the solemnity of her assumption the immaculate mother of god the ever virgin mary having completed the course of her earthly life was assumed body and soul into heavenly glory that is from pope pius the 12th his document called most bountiful god it is a divinely revealed dogma of the Catholic Church, divinely revealed by God. It's been infallibly proposed by the magisterium of the Church that Mary, fully human and full of God's sanctifying grace, has made it back in full body and full soul to paradise. That was proclaimed only 70 years ago. We're having the 70-year anniversary of that dogma it takes time for the theology to unfold by the Holy Spirit within the magisterium of the church. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Paul says, Do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law is binding on a person only during his life. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies... She's discharged from the law concerning him. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Why is Paul making a point about covenantal marriage law? Jesus will teach in a much different way than St. Paul. Jesus puts himself intentionally in front of a woman trapped in bondage. She is in a tough situation and maybe she sees no way out of it. He says, go call your husband and come here. And the woman says, I I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right in saying that you have no husband. You've had five husbands and he, the sixth who you're with now is not your husband. This you've said truly. And the woman said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. She is with man number six, The other five men are not deceased. She's still in covenantal marriage with husband number one. So what does Jesus want to do with her? Condemn her to hell and cast her aside? No. Get out of my sight, you wicked sinner. No. He has come for sinners. He has intentionally sought her out. He seeks out sinners. He intentionally put himself in her path because God has sent him to proclaim release to those captives people in bondage of sin the samaritan woman is trapped in sin she's one of the captives he's come for so am i for the son of man came to seek and save the lost jesus said if you knew the gift of god and and who is telling you Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water. So I might not have to come here to draw. The living water he wants to give her is the gift of the new marriage, the Holy Spirit. Jesus hints of a bridegroom to come. Number seven, the perfect new covenant bridegroom, he himself. Everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But the water I want to give you will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now Why is St. Paul in Romans 7 doing an analogy about marriage? Israel is in a forever marriage covenant with God. Marriage is a permanent covenant with God until death do us part. One of the partners must die to get released from this permanent marriage covenant. But who will die? Who will die? Will God die or will the Israelites die to get out of the marriage covenant? Well, last time I checked, Israel was still well alive. It was is a booming nation, Israel. Israel didn't die. God would die. God would die in his second divine person. The marriage covenant to Israel was officially ended at God's death. He got out of the marriage covenant. Until death do us part, the death of God has ended the marriage. But wait, there's more because death could not hold God down. God conquered death itself. So on the third day, God in the second divine person rises Over death, God crushed death. Death has no part in God. Death cannot keep God down. There is no death in his divine personhood. He fully died in his full human nature. But now, because of the hypostatic union that we talked about last chapter, now because of the hypostatic union, Jesus has risen in his divine personhood. Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, enjoys as head in his human nature to the human nature body of the church, his bride. He draws the human nature bride into his own divine personhood by a new and eternal marriage covenant. Oh, yeah. But it's not exclusively for Israel only. It's not just for the Jews. It's for all Abraham's descendants, for all the nations. Paul tells the Ephesians, the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And Paul tells them in Ephesians 5 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he himself present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Just as God washed his first bride clean in Exodus 19 on Sinai. Three days of washing to prepare for God to come down. God washed the final bride clean. Three days in the tomb Jesus spent. The old covenant marriage, the new covenant marriage. The first divine person is the husband. The second divine person is the bridegroom. Israel is the bride in the old. The universal bride is all nations in the new covenant. The first marriage, God the Father, in his divine personhood is Father. The final marriage, God the Son in His divine personhood as the Son of God, and they're one and the same. Jesus reveals it: I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Philip, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. The Old Testament, it's concealed. The New Testament, it's revealed. Romans 7 says, if her husband dies, she is set free from the law. She's done. She has freedom from the law. That was the wedding gift, but it's over. That covenant is done. The new wedding gift, the new bride gets the indwelling Holy Spirit. And with the Holy Spirit comes the entire Trinity. When God died on the cross in the divine personhood of Jesus, he did that for all sinners of all Time. It's it's the covenant of love. All believers baptized into the triune God get the gift of the Holy Spirit to dwell, to indwell their being, their temple. The resurrection of God, the divine second person of Jesus Christ raising from the dead changed everything. There is a new bride of God. Now, widow Israel isn't discarded. She is incorporated into this new remarriage. If she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. She's invited in. Widow Israel is incorporated into this new marriage. This new bridegroom is for her too. And Mary The widow of Israel, she's dressed in black there as a widow at the foot of the cross. She's represented in both marriage covenants. She's a sister bride in the old covenant, a a daughter of Israel. She's a mother bride in the new covenant. Virgin Mary, mother of God, is the hinge pin between the two covenants. Because of that hypostatic union of the divine personhood of Jesus Christ, of which Mary is the mother of God, in that title Theotokos, God-bearer, the mother of God, Mary, is the sole individual chosen by God for the divine mission of divine motherhood. Every other believer, without exception, is adopted by grace to become a sibling, a younger brother of Jesus, a sister of Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. But Mary is the only one, the only believer who Jesus can address with the words, woman, behold your son. Mary is a human mother to a divine son. John on the other side is a sibling, a brother. Mary is the only mother of God. And Mary then if Jesus is our sibling, Mary also becomes our mother. She's the mother of the new marriage covenant, the mother of the bridegroom, and we are all her children. Mary is the new Eve, truly the mother of all the living. Mary, through her human nature, but divine motherhood pulls us all into the divine family. Now, both marriage covenants are good. The law is good, Paul told us. Both covenants are very good. Jesus does not discard them. He does not take one iota from the law. He fulfills the law and brings Israel into the new covenant. Both covenants are very, very good. But Paul says in Romans 6, we are now discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we may serve not under the old written code, but in new life of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first marriage happened to be, the giving of the law was the first Jewish Pentecost. The final marriage, the giving of the Holy Spirit, will be the last Jewish Pentecost and the first Christian Pentecost. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we praise and thank you that you want to sanctify us, that you want to make us holy, and that if we just yield to you, that your sacraments in the church can fill us with sanctifying grace and keep us holy. Thank you for that, Lord God, because we're fallen. We have concupiscence. We have a proclivity, a tender to sin, but yet you had a solution your bride, with her sacraments, with the sanctifying grace of the Trinity to keep us holy. I thank you for that tonight, Jesus. And I thank you for the gift of life. Amen. That was part two of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter seven, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible studies, visit seekingtruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.